Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Father, I say thank you for your mercy. Oh God, we love you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your grace, Lord, for your hand with us. And Lord, I thank you for your constant call into deeper fellowship. Lord, I thank you for the favor of your face. Father, I thank you for the privilege of communion with you. Thank you for Jesus. God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the blood of the Lamb. We're so grateful, Lord God, for your broken body. We're so grateful for your love for us. We're so thankful, Father, Lord, for your unending kindness and unending patience. God, we give you thanks. We give you worship and praise. Father, tonight I ask that you'd stretch forth your hand to heal and do signs and wonders and miracles. Lord, that you would burn our hearts, God, with a fresh passion, Lord, to seek your face and to walk in love with you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. Praise God. We can prophesy and declare that the will of God is that we would walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 5 is where I want to start tonight. I've been fascinated to watch and see what the Lord is saying and what he's doing. And, um, and I love the Word of God. Who's, who enjoys the Word of God? Oh, it's such a privilege to fellowship with God in his Word. But Luke 5, we start here, and this is uh, the story of Jesus calling Simon, Simon Peter, to be his disciple. Starts here in verse one. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I'll do as you say and let down the nets. When they'd done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. When they brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What an amazing story. Here they are, they've worked all night, caught nothing all night long, and then Jesus says, put out in the middle of the day, let down your nets, which you've all just washed them, go on, let's do it again, and they're like, all right. <laughs> and suddenly, there is an overwhelming catch to the, the 
point that not, not only can not one boat contain the fish, they, they, two boats are sinking. These are not little boats either. This is, these are big fishing boats sinking because of the catch of fish in the middle of the day. It's so amazing. But what struck me this week as I was looking at that is Peter's response. It says here in verse eight, when Simon Peter saw that he fell down, saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And I looked at that and I thought, why was he afraid? Why was he saying, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man? It wasn't because of the catch of fish. It was suddenly his realization, oh, I'm in the presence of God and I'm sinful. And he was terrified. Why was he terrified of God? Now, a lot of people are terrified of God. But you know, he had good reason to be. If you turn back to Exodus chapter 20, this is a fascinating story. In Exodus 20, we read about the, the people coming um, to the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, after they've come out of Egypt. And the Lord comes and it is so intense. There is smoke, there is lightning, there is thunder, and a trumpet sounds played by a, a heavenly angel that is so loud and intense that everybody just starts to tremble. Thick darkness, smoke, lightning, thunder. And the Lord says, don't get anywhere near the mountain. Don't let any animals get anywhere near the base of the mountain because they will have to die if they do. The thunder, the lightning, the trumpet. The people were genuinely terrified. They were genuinely scared. And then if you look in Exodus 20, it's a fascinating read through Exodus 19 and 20. And then verse 18, it says, all the people perceived the lightning and the thunder and the flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but let not God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So here it is, God appearing and the people are terrified. Even though they've been told to wash their garments and they've washed their garments, they're still terrified because they know that they're only externally clean. They aren't as holy as God and they're terrified because sin and God can't get close to each other and, and it's, a, it's a terrifying thing. But then even more bizarre and fascinating is a story here in Exodus 24 and I'll, I'll try to put all of this together in a minute. But it's so interesting as the covenant is being made and um, God's, Commands are given. It says here that um, in verse nine of Exodus 24, 
Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Did you hear me? They saw the God of Israel, and under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. They had dinner with God on the mountain. And they, not only that, they saw his literal feet and his hands. And they saw the sea of glass under his feet, and they were there eating and drinking and seeing God. I mean, this isn't a fairy tale. This, this actually happened. This is so astonishing. But the people were saying, don't even let him talk to us. We're terrified. And I look at that and think, can you imagine having an actual encounter? This isn't an inner vision. They are actually eating and drinking and having dinner with God while his feet are on the sea of glass. You would imagine that these people would never sin again, that they would never fall away. Like you say, I've seen God. They saw him. They saw him, they heard him. Then he said, you guys stay here. I'm gonna take Moses and I'm going to give him the 10 commandments and they're finishing their dinner, listening to this. Can you picture it? But within 40 days, they had built a golden calf and said, let's make a God to thank, to um, worship for bringing us out of Egypt. I, I can't actually quite understand. They've had the miracle of the Red Sea. They're having water out of a rock. They're having manna and quail. They are seeing the smoke and the lightning and hearing the heavenly trumpet. They are eating with God on the mountain, seeing the sea of glass. And within 40 days, they have so prostrated themselves and prostituted themselves with a golden calf. I don't understand. You know, miracles are an important part of people experiencing God. Miracles are a wonderful thing and they can get people's attention and see them converted. I've known many people who've given their lives to, to Christ as a result of a miracle. A miracle is a wonderful thing. God, God is really into miracles, hallelujah. He still does miracles today and we see it, the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people get saved, I've seen uh, relatives of the people who've been healed instantly give their lives to Christ. Miracles are so powerful. But a miracle alone is not enough to keep people in a lifestyle of holiness. 
The fear of the Lord. Whoa. When they said, don't let God talk to us, Moses said, don't be afraid, because he didn't want them to think that he was some um, ill-tempered God that could just kill them at any moment. But he did want them to have a healthy fear of the Lord so that they wouldn't sin. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. It is good for us to recognize, oh God, oh God, you are holy and you don't wink at sin. That's a good thing. But the fear of the Lord that struck them was still not enough to sustain them in a lifestyle of holiness. I wanna keep reading and you'll, you'll hopefully follow what I was seeing today. You know, I love that story in Luke about Peter and, and the catch of fish and, and God then saying, Jesus saying to him, don't be afraid, I'll, I'll make you a fisher of men. We understand, having just read Exodus, why Peter was afraid. He was Jewish, he knew, God's holy. Even a priest entering into the Holy of Holies to encounter the presence of God with any sin is gonna be struck dead. That's why they had to have the bells around the bottom of their garment and a, a rope tied around their waist so that if they did drop dead in the presence of God, the other priests could pull him out without having to go in themselves. There was an understanding of the holiness of God and the, the reality that, hey, he is seriously holy. And so Peter, suddenly realizing I'm in the presence of holiness, was genuinely terrified. But Jesus' response to him is, like Moses, don't be afraid. But then he says, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Come follow me. Because Jesus knew that though the people in the old covenant were not able to approach him, the in the new covenant, Jesus came down the mountain to them and invited them to come with him, saying, I'm gonna make a way for you and I to again, once again, be in fellowship and run together. Hallelujah. And uh, we know the story of the gospel as Jesus came, the sinless lamb, hallelujah, to lay down his life. And they have Passover, and they have the Last Supper, and there's 12 disciples there eating and drinking with God again. The first time they were celebrating the first, the Old Covenant. The second time, they're celebrating the institution of the New Covenant. And the new covenant isn't calling us to Mount Sinai, which is terrifying. But the new covenant is calling us to Mount Zion, the place of communion with God that we can once again be joined to God. Peter's response in the boat was the response of Adam after he sinned. He was like, I wanna hide from God. 
because my sin and God can't meet. But Jesus came not to overlook sin, but to do away with it, to pay the penalty of sin and give us righteousness so that we could be restored to relationship. Hallelujah. When Moses came down the mountain and saw the golden calf, there were 3,000 people killed that day. But when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 saved that day. God's desire for us in understanding the new covenant is so rich that He so longs for us to recognize, I'm inviting you to come where no one has been able to go before. I'm inviting you as a people to come up the mountain and fellowship with me. You will no longer have to die for your sin because I've died for you and I've risen again, hallelujah. And uh, you know, it's, it's so beautiful to look and see. Later when um, Peter denied Christ, I mean, he's had this incredible miracle of the fish. He's walked with Jesus. He's seen astonishing miracles. And then he denies Jesus. And three times he denies him. And then if you turn to Luke 21, we can read Peter's, he's just walked away and he's gone back to fishing. He's so disgusted with himself so disillusioned, so disappointed. Have you ever felt like that? Where you know you know better, yet you've messed up terribly? Oh, Peter, he, he knew, he knew he'd done the wrong thing. He knew he deserved nothing. He was wretched. He was so depressed and distressed. And he went back to fishing, and I, I love Peter. I, I, I feel like I understand a little bit of his passion, but if you're not careful, it can go up and down, up yeah. and down. But here he is, he's in his down moment. He's gone fishing. And um, we'll start at verse 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were, with, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. A familiar story. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? It's like, rub it in. They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved 
That's John. I love that he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped off for work, and threw himself into the sea. That part I've never quite understood, but. But the other disciples came in on the little boat, in the, in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish, because it was too full to put in the boat. So when they got out on the land and they saw a charcoal, charcoal fire ready, uh, already laid, and fish placed on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And no one wanted to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. And then it goes on, he has this discussion with Peter. And he says in verse 15, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I just love this. Jesus was called with a miracle catch of fish. He was redeemed with a miracle catch of fish. But this conversation is fascinating. Instead of Jesus pulling him over and going, we need to have a talk. Can you imagine how Peter would have been feeling? Oh, here it is. Jesus instead points out to Peter that he really does love him, that Peter really does love the Lord. And then as you read about the life of Peter, He's on the day of Pentecost, leading the 3,000 to Jesus. He's living a life where he gives his life for Christ and dies as a martyr. So as I look at all of this, I think, well, a miracle has the power to bring someone to the Lord and bring conversion, but a miracle by itself doesn't have the power to sustain a life given to the Lord, a life following him. The fear of the Lord can make people, you know, repent and turn to the Lord and it's such an important and powerful thing. We must never lose the sense of the fear of the Lord and the holiness of God. But the fear of the Lord alone is not enough to sustain an everyday lifestyle of holiness. Don't hear what I'm not saying. The fear of the Lord is so important. But if that's all you have, then fear is not a good long-term motivation to live right. And you look at it and you think, well, maybe an encounter. If I had a real encounter with God, it's probably because I haven't had a real encounter with God. 
these guys ate with the Lord on the sea of glass. As far as encounters go, That's up there. that is up there. <laughs> and yet, 40 days later, they're taking part in the worship of a golden calf. Even though they've heard God say, I'm going to take Moses up here for a while and, and give him the Ten Commandments. Only 40 days later, they were in sin again. So a miracle can't sustain holiness. The fear of God alone can't sustain holiness. So all of these things are powerful and can bring people to repentance and conversion. An encounter can't sustain a life of holiness, though it can convert you, though it can bring you to repentance, though it can cause you to worship God, they are good things. But as we look here at the life of Peter, it was the revelation that you love me and I actually love you that sustained a life of following Christ. The revelation, I actually do love you. I actually I actually love you. Your love has done such a work in my heart that I love you. I love you back. I love you. And not only did he say, okay, you can be a fisher of men again. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to shepherd my sheep. You're going to tend my lambs. He upgraded the commission without any rebuke or punishment. It's bizarre. But you know what? It wasn't about the punishment because Jesus had taken the punishment. It was all about love. It was all about the love of Christ. And I want to finish with this. I've been meditating and I, I heard um, Ben Fitzgerald uh, mention this the other day and it really convicted my heart. Revelation chapter 2. You read about the message of Jesus to the churches. And here we have Jesus, the Holy One, and you have Jesus, the Lamb, Jesus, the Lion, the Glorious One, whose eyes burn like fire, speaking a message to the churches. Can you imagine getting a letter from God to Glory City Church? You know, a letter from God to the church. Here it is, to the church in Ephesus. And he tells them, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. It's pretty glorious. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The glorious one. Says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not and you found them to be false, and that you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. It's like, whoa. Like, this is a good church. They're doing really good things. Timothy leads this church. There's amazing people in this church. Apollos is preaching there. They're doing great stuff. They don't even have Netflix. 
They are good people. But God says, I see all this good stuff you're doing, excellent, good job, don't stop doing this, but I have this against you. And if you don't come back to the place of remembering that you love me and therefore you love me and worship me and commune with me because of this love, this deep love that's in your heart, if you don't come back to, to living like you are in love, I'm gonna take away your lampstand. And within 10 years, the lampstand of the church of Ephesus was gone. That's so sobering. But it's not about the works. It's not about must do this or this will happen. You must do. God is looking for what he's been looking for all along. He is looking for a genuine love relationship. He's looking for hearts that say and have a revelation. I love you. It's true. I love you. I might have messed up and done the wrong thing and I'm so ashamed of that and I'm so sorry, God. But I receive your mercy and your grace and I, I recognize I love you. And it is this love the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians. It's this love, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, the love of Christ constraineth us. It's the love of Christ that causes us to live a life of following him, a life of holiness, a life of laying hold of what he's got for us. You know, as I look at that and I, I read and I read things like in 1 John 4, where it talks about, as he is, so are we in this world. I get so astonished, and I think about the amazing miracles the Lord does, and think, wow, I've been given power to do the miracles of Jesus. But I also think about the relationship Jesus had as a man on the earth with the Father, the prayer life he had, I now have the grace, the anointing, the calling, and the empowerment to have a prayer life like Jesus. Many of us, when we hear the, as he is, so are we in this world, we think about the power. I mean, and God wants us to know the greatness of the power toward us who believe. But you know, part of that power is to live a holy life in full communion with God, who finds in him the emotional needs, the spiritual needs, the physical strength, and everything that he needs. He had a relationship, a dynamic relationship with the Father that was so glorious that in his weakest moments, that was the place he ran to. He knew where to get his every need, his deepest desires, his greatest longings. He knew where to find what he needed. And he had a love relationship with the Father that was so intense. He loved the Father. The Father loved him. And now you and I are as he is, and we have the capacity to have the same revelation. We have 
the capacity not just to see his feet on the sea of glass and to know about him, but we get to commune with him, to speak with him face to face, and we get to have not only a technical relationship, but a genuine heart fellowship where we can find the love of God that will keep us now unto him who is able to keep us from falling. None of these other things, as wonderful and important as they are, are able to sustain a lifestyle of holiness, but the keeping power of the fellowship of the Holy Ghost in the love relationship with the Father can keep us, hallelujah. The sustaining grace of divine fellowship. Not only have we been invited to eat with God, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and I will eat, sup with them. Not only does God want to eat with us, he's invited us into his very body to be one with him to have a relationship with him like Jesus had with him when he walked the earth. Jesus' prayer was that they might have fellowship like we have fellowship. And it's not a tall order or an impossible standard. It's a grace that is given that if today you say, oh God, I recognize the things that have been keeping me from walking in holiness. I repent. I put it away and I come back to that place of remembering, oh God, you are my savior. You are holy and I love you and you love me and that you don't punish me. You don't keep a record of my sin, but you give me power to repent and turn away from dead works and receive the overwhelming love of Christ in my life. And as I lay hold of it, as I drink deeply of the river of your pleasure, I have power now today to have a prayer life like Jesus. Instead of waking up in the morning and feeling condemned, you can wake up in the morning and feel refreshed with the revelation, thank you God. You haven't asked me to live in a place of first love without first giving me your love and the capacity to live a life of daily first love and to have a prayer life like you had with the Father. Today, I have grace to have a prayer life like Jesus. And it's not some scary, difficult thing that you have to try and compare yourself. Have I spent enough hours? That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for a heart that recognizes, oh, I'm in love with you. I do really do love you. I love you. Jesus kept asking Peter not to prove that he didn't, but to show him that he did. Do you love me? He wanted Peter to see that his heart really did love Jesus. Do you love me? Yeah, I don't think I love you very well. You're qualified. 
to feed my sheep. Upgrade. Do you love me, agape? Do you love me? Oh, I think I only like phileo. I think I only like love you a bit. You qualified. He was pointing out to him, you have love for me in your heart, and it is that love that qualifies you. It's that love. And as you wake up in the morning and you go, oh God, you are holy, and your blood has made me holy. I'm so grateful, Jesus. I wanna live in a place of first love. I love you, God. And even though I don't feel like I love you enough, yet your kindness and your mercy fully qualifies me to love others and to minister to others. And that you qualify me even when I don't feel like I love you with the same love that you have for me. You have qualified me and you have put your love in my heart. And therefore, I step in by faith today. Even if my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart. And today, I step in by faith into the prayer life of Christ, into the fellowship of Christ, into the same fellowship that Christ had with the Father on the earth. I'm stepping into that today, hooray. Today, I step into the reality of the nature of Christ. Thank you, I step into your love and your mercy. Today, I live a life of first love. Because it's so easy to get caught up in all the doing and forget the one thing, the main thing, that is to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, I believe there's been a deception that's come across so much of the body of Christ that, hey, deep down, a lot of people are afraid of God. Even though they know technically I've been forgiven, they're still a bit afraid of the judgment of God. And for many, who are living with sin that has, is just ongoing and haven't repented. They, they struggle with the message of righteousness because it's like I have guilt, I'm trying to theologically get rid of it, but actually I can't get rid of it because you're living in sin. That needs to be repented of, turned away from. You go, ah, oh, that's wrong, no. I shouldn't be watching that. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be in a relationship like that. I shouldn't, whatever it is. Thank you, God, I recognize that. I'm gonna put that away. I'm gonna repent, hallelujah. And I'm gonna receive by faith the forgiveness of Christ, hallelujah. I'm gonna walk in the liberty of knowing that you don't even remember my sin now. I'm forgiven. I'm not gonna live today in condemnation. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, I'm forgiven. And I'm not just forgiven for forgiveness sake, I am forgiven for love's sake. And the love of Christ within me today is going to step in and pursue and go after God and come up with him to the mountain of the Lord. I'm gonna ascend with clean hands and a pure heart because you've given it to me. And as a result, I will ascend and I will walk with you today. And today I will live a life where I'm not gonna 
going to have idols. I'm not going to put things in front of you. I'm going to give you the worship you deserve. I'm going to give you the first fruits of my day. I'm going to tell you I love you because I love you. I love you with my whole heart, God. You've put this love in my heart and you've given me the capacity to love you back. God, I love you. And as you do that, that is the thing that Jesus was so excited about going to the cross for. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was, the, what was this joy? It was the joy of knowing that mankind would be reunited with him in fellowship as it was always intended to be in the garden. That we'd no longer hide ourselves in fear and shame, but that we would come to him unafraid, fully exposed, knowing that he had saved us, made us clean, and given us power today to walk in fellowship with him. Amen. Amen, hallelujah. It's a sobering word, but it's a glorious invitation. And you know, I, I read that and, and I, I want you to understand, I'm not suggesting that miracles, encounters, and the fear of the Lord aren't a very important part, a very important part of our walk with the Lord. We need all of those to bring us to repentance, to con convert our hearts, to provoke us to worship. They're all glorious things. But separated from a love relationship, they are, have no capacity to sustain us. God is looking to grab a hold of your heart and set it, set it on fire with fresh love today. Hallelujah. If you're here tonight and you know in your heart you aren't walking in relationship with God, I wanna pray for you before we pray for anyone else tonight. If you're here and you know in your heart you, ha you haven't got a relationship with God, the Bible says that the, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That unless we actually give him our life, our sin, and we repent and receive from him his mercy and his forgiveness, we cannot have eternal life. But if we'll come to him and say, Lord, I need salvation. I can't earn it. I cannot make myself holy. Have mercy on me. He will have mercy. He will come in and he will make you new on the inside. He will give you a clean heart. Hallelujah. And the heart of the Father is that you would recognize and know the goodness of his love, that, he would, that you would believe that he takes away your sin but it requires a heart response that says, I need you. So anyone here that says, yes, that's me, I wanna to respond to the mercy of Christ tonight. I wanna pray for you if that's you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the other thing I wanna ask you is are you living in first love? If I think about repent and do the works you did at first, I think about the times when the Holy Spirit would speak to my heart as I was driving and I'd have to pull over on the side of the road and intercede and take me into to visions and show me things that were happening. And I, I have to think, actually God, now when I get in the car, I've got my 
hands-free phone. I'm making a whole bunch of phone calls and appointments and, and I'm dealing with all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I have to ask myself, God, am I making enough room for you? Or have I become too busy? You know, I believe this is the word of the Lord for the church right now. Across the board, God's saying, I see all your good works, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. And I don't want you to keep going around and around this merry-go-round. I don't want to see you accelerated into just more works because the acceleration's coming. But I want to bring a Holy Ghost adjustment and bring you back to the place of first love so that as the acceleration comes, your love is only gonna burn brighter and deeper, your prayer life's only gonna get stronger and sweeter, and the fruit that will be produced will get more and more glorious and long-lasting. This is the invitation of the one who holds the stars in his hand, hallelujah. I wanna, um, I don't know, we haven't got any instruments, but perhaps we could put some worship on. I wanna just open the altar tonight and give you opportunity. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website www.glorycitychurch.com.au We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au God bless.